In my opinion, the time for dealing with things like climate change and carbon is yesterday. The fact is, it's too late to stuff around anymore. Certain things, and I would say climate change, is just a non-negotiable now. And the world expects you, whether your, whether your industry does, the world expects you to do better. Seeing what happens when the world when the world stops and you remove humans from the environment, that was the first opportunity and proof to us that we're a bit of a disease to the earth. <laughs> One thing for the earth just to breathe and be free of our presence and our oh, gosh, we just you know we just take over this place and there's just no room and no room for the environment to breathe. For some people, uh, COVID is an enemy and you're going to throw everything you can to defeat it. <laughs> uh, for me, it was always a messenger. It was like nature, nature's way of drawing to our attention that our way of life on the planet is not sustainable, period. It's a portal in the sense that it is, you have to step from one way of seeing and being into another. If we ignore this one, then the next portal will be less comfortable. From Good Travel and New Zealand Awaits, we're Josie Major and Debbie Clark. Welcome to Good Awaits, the Regenerative Tourism New Zealand podcast. Under the shadow of the global pandemic and climate crisis, tourism is facing enormous uncertainty and returning to business as usual is no longer an option. Our people and planet are relying on us to reconnect and reimagine. The Good Awaits podcast is a platform for the collective discovery of a new way forward, it's great to have you join us on this journey. Kia ora, ko Debbie Toko I'm Debbie Clark, founder and owner of New Zealand Awaits. Kia ora, ko Josie Toko I'm Josie Major, New Zealand Programs Manager for Good Travel. Welcome back to Good Awaits. This is our season harvest for season one of the Good Awaits podcast. Debbie and I have been doing this for about 10 weeks now. Uh, we've been fully immersed in this probably for more than that though, right, Debbie, since, since yeah. sort of March, we've been fully immersed in this regenerative tourism and it's now trying to bring that to a close and, and create a bit of a summary for you of, of the 10 interviews that we've done. Yeah, it's been pretty a pretty amazing ride um, or an incredible journey. Uh, I think we've said that this podcast is a platform for collective discovery of what regenerative tourism means in New Zealand. And it really has been, I've been on a personal journey, I think, with um, Anna Pollock's Back to Life course starting in March, as you said, Josie, and then the podcast where we've had these incredible conversations with people who are really uh, at the forefront of this movement in New Zealand. Um, and now I'm in the uh, Tourism Collabs course. It's tur it's regenerative tourism by design. It's out of Australia, and that's incredible too, with people from all over the world who are jumping on this journey to try and deepen their own understanding of what regenerative thinking in a tourism context is. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully, if you've been following along with us for the last ten episodes, that you'll feel like you're also part of this this journey. And we thought it might be useful to do this harvest, partly to to take some of the the bits of insight um, that we've learned from from our guests, but also to do a little bit of a visioning exercise around what a reimagined visitor economy or 
regenerative tourism would look like in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We asked this question of each one of our guests and asked them to share a sort of image of what their their vision would be. So we thought we would take some time to sort of collate those visions and paint you a picture of what that could look like. So that's our hope today is that we have a shortened journey today of the of the journey we've been on for the last uh, 10, 10 weeks or 10 episodes. Um, and I think part of this vision that we have that our guests have and that Josie, you and I have now for this reimagined visitor economy for Aotearoa and perhaps for the world, I would say, first and foremost, as we heard from our intro clips, is that we need to understand that as humans, we need to live within our planetary boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as we record this, it's about a week since the most recent IPCC report came out showing once again the widespread, rapid and intensifying nature of, of climate change and showing us that we're running out of time. This is, this is urgent work that we need to be doing and urgent shift in thinking to living within these planetary boundaries like those, those clips at the beginning highlighted. Yeah, I love Trent. It's too late to stuff around anymore. (laughs) That says it all, right? I mean, it really is. It's like we have 10 years. We, that's, that's, you know, we knew there there wasn't, like you said, the IPCC report, there wasn't um, a lot in there that was actually new if you've been paying attention already. But there's a bit of a line in the sand that's been drawn. We've got 10 years to make rapid changes. I want to share, we've asked, I want to share a comment that's come in from one of our listeners. We asked our listeners to, Give us some feedback and some comments that they'd like us to address. So we're going to sprinkle some of those through today's episode. And one of our listeners, I'll read exactly what he said. Generally, I feel the tourism industry, especially the big boys and girls, are still kidding themselves that we're going back to normal. The world has changed and we need to spotlight more broadly into the future. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And it's not just about COVID, right? Like COVID has been this this huge wake up call for our industry, but it's just the first of many waves of crises that are coming our way. And that quite famous image comes to mind where it's got the the waves and the first wave being being COVID and then the next slightly bigger wave economic recession and then climate change and then biodiversity collapse. And it just keeps coming. And I think we have to acknowledge the fact that if we carry on the way that we are, then that's that's what we're setting ourselves up for. Yeah. And that's the part I think that concerns me the most. And that's the shift that needs to happen. I think people, you know, my vision of the future is that people get it. People understand it's too late to stuff around anymore. And they they move, we move forward in a completely different way. So so there's some tension in this, I think, that's also come through that we're feeling, Josie, you and I have had a lot of conversations as well about this. The tension we feel about the shift that needs to happen is first and foremost, a personal um, inner journey, and that takes time. And so, and yet we're running out of time. And so that one of our listeners has written in um, saying that they're challenged by the sentiment that we need more conversations to get us where we're going. And yet that they acknowledge, yeah, we do need to do that. Um, but we also need to find ways to move ahead very quickly while we're doing this inner work. And I think that's the the tension and the conflict we find as we move into this next 10 years, this next decade, that we have limited time. So let's do what we need to do. Let's commit. Let's each and every one of us commit and move forward in a way that has us living in harmony with nature. Yeah. And I think that's 
really the central piece to this whole vision is this understanding of ourselves as part of a living system. This has come through right throughout the the season, seeing how our guests see themselves and their businesses as part of a living ecosystem. And hopefully if you've been listening with us, you've been starting to see these patterns emerge because I think part of the work is just being able to notice those those patterns emerging uh, and starting to use some of this living systems language, which we've been trying to to bring into these conversations as well. Mm, and if and if you're only listening to this and you're not really sure what we're talking about, please go back and listen to Michelle Holiday's episode because that was a fantastic overview of living systems thinking as applied to business and as applied to individuals and how we all need to see ourselves as part of living systems in order to make the shift to understanding how we need to live in harmony with nature. Yeah, and it speaks to how this is a personal journey as well as a, pro- a professional journey as well. One of our listeners wrote in and said that we can see regeneration as a daily practice, a way of seeing through different lenses. And I think that's that's really powerful because it is a it's a practice that we need to bring into our everyday life, not just into the, the way that we do business as well. Yeah, and we had another listener that said um, that Listening to the podcast, she feels she's part of something bigger and she feels connected in her purpose. And I think this is important to for us all to recognize that you're not alone in doing this work. And and this is this is again living systems thinking. We're all connected. We're all working and living in the same living system, was what our listener had also said. So we're all doing this work together. And so the more of us doing it, the more hope we have moving forward. Because there's such an urgency now for us to understand that we need to live within nature's limits. And it's a big shift. It's it's a huge mindset shift and a new a completely new paradigm. So moving forward together is going to be really important. I think at this point Debbie it's important to acknowledge also regenerative thinking or regenerative tourism is often said to be this sort of new and shiny concept. Whereas in, in reality, it's it's not new at all. I mean, there's been some leading thinkers who have been writing and talking about this for the past few decades, but also this knowledge is deeply rooted in Indigenous wisdom. But yeah, we never knew what we were doing was regenerative tourism. We were just doing what was naturally inside of us. Um, It's not an uncommon concept for Māori. And I find it really interesting that a lot of the regenerative tourism strategies that are being discussed now are essentially our Māori and our old ways, um, which are fast becoming the new ways. Yeah, so... As you said, Josie, it's uh, it's indigenous cultures around the world have understood that they're part of living systems all around them. And so the newness of this concept is for those of us that haven't thought that way already. I think because of that, it's really important that we bring humility to this work because this is knowledge that it has been fiercely protected by indigenous peoples despite the colonization and industrialization of their lands and peoples. So I feel incredibly privileged to be able to learn these ways of thinking from Māori operators that we've spoken with and Māori thought leaders in Aotearoa and also from Indigenous peoples around the world. Yeah, I agree too. I think it is a privilege for us and um, to understand it as a privilege and honour it as a privilege. 
We've heard from uh, another listener in Ireland, Tina O'Dwyer. When she listened to the podcast, it's resonated with her in terms of Celtic wisdom that she is exploring more. The other thing that really struck me um, relates to a journey of my own. I've really been exploring over the last year Celtic wisdom and what we can learn from that and harness into modern day leadership um, and working on this idea of the Celtic leader. And what really struck me from the podcast was the reverence your guests show to the Maori language, the Maori culture um, and the concepts that are contained therein. And I was struck most by how, um, you know, they're concepts rather than words and we can't translate them directly into English because they're not just words. They're they're the accumulation of thousands of years of wisdom and and the knowing that the people who are people who've gone before us have learned over thousands of years. And it would be great to be able to take all that knowing now and to remember it again and to to revere it and bring it forward with us as, as leaders. And in our Irish language, um, the Gaelic language, we we have exactly the same thing. We have concepts and words that are not easily translatable or directly translatable um, into English, mainly because they, they contain all this wisdom and knowing of our place. So I was really struck by the parallels between those two things and listening to the podcast has inspired me to explore our native wisdom here further and to watch the parallels between ours here and this side of the world and, and what, what is what we're hearing a lot of expression of in, in your side of the world in New Zealand as well. So thank you especially for that. It's fascinating to see the overlaps between the understandings of Indigenous peoples from different places and acknowledging that this this knowledge exists in in so many places if we if we look for it. And really at the heart of this understanding is this deep connection to place that Indigenous peoples have and that we need to try and foster in order to make these shifts because Connection to place is really central to this living systems mindset. Yeah. We've heard from our podcast guests about their deep connection to place. So it really comes through how much they love their places. So let's let's go back and listen to some of those. This place is pretty special and lots of places in New Zealand are special. And I think it comes back to your connection um, often in, in childhood. And I um, just sort of this place is, is and almost I just throw it in every pore of the body, every cell. For me, Tauranga is, um, you know, my place of birth, but it's also the place that my ancestors have tread for generations. So that's that's what my love for this area is is, is just that whole fucker papa, you know, just it's just quite prideful to be of the of this area. I think it's the you know, the open seas, fertile lands, we are the Bay of Fenty, um, the home of kiwi fruit, uh honey, avocado. From a horticultural provenance perspective, we um, that land is so important to us. And so that journey of discovery is we were going on adventures, I was going on adventures with my children and we were exploring it in all those different ways, was really the foundation for um, really truly valuing, you know, the diversity that we've got in Coromandel and it beca- establishing itself as my um, Tūranga Waiwai 
place where we really stand and I stand and belong and feel strong. Mm, it just evokes such a deep place in me, I think, when I think of my home and my place in Aotearoa. And this is, I think, part of our collective vision too, that our tourism hosts are the people who have deep, deep connections to their place. Because these are the same people, because of their love for their place, they want to actively take care of it. They know their place. They want to take care of it now and in the future for future generations. And many of the the guests we spoke to talked about um, multi-generational their family on multi-generational levels being of their place. So the importance of those past generations in that place and understanding and, and acknowledging the future generations of their families and their people who would be in that place. Thinking across generations is, a, is very much a regenerative or a, a living systems way of thinking. If we think about ourselves as interconnected, not only with our communities and the ecosystems uh, alive right now, but across generations and see ourselves connected to the people that came before us and the people that will come after us. And thinking in this way can help us to see ourselves as custodians of a place. The one thing that we found that united us all was this love of place and then the deep desire to see it protected for future generations. You know, in the States, in the national parks, they have like a seven generations thing, is how does the children, the the children of my 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 children, or whatever it is, how do they judge my decision today? But the only way we're going to survive and thrive on planet Earth is if we start to live in harmony with nature, live according to her limits, live according to her rules. And the only way we can do that is in community and places. And the ideal question is really, you know, what do you wish for this place? What does this wish, what do you sense this place wants to become? I mean, that's an even deeper question because then you're assuming this place has an identity of its own, which it does. I love this question of Anna's, this what do you sense this place wants to become? I think it's a really powerful way of thinking about our places as alive and having their own identities. Sometimes I've heard Anna also ask it in a different way, which is who is this place? Yeah. Yeah. And so imagine if each and every one of us asked that question every time we, for every action we take or for every time we make a decision. Who is this place? Or what do we sense this place wants to become? Or what do we wish for this place? My vision is that we're asking that on a personal level and a professional level in our businesses. Yeah, and it takes us back to what is tourism's purpose? These these questions can help us to reshape tourism's purpose. And and one of the other questions that that emerges from this is what does my community need and how can tourism help to serve that and that's been one of the one of the ideas that we've been exploring is if tourism's purpose is to serve communities then asking these kinds of questions and connecting ourselves more deeply to place and to community is a way to move towards that yeah so if we're asking what does our place need or what does this place want to become or what does our community need if we're flipping that question as you said Josie 
then we're putting purpose and hopefully passion at the forefront of our businesses. And our businesses are then designed to meet those needs. So I think of some of our guests, Nadine, for example, with Kohutapu Lodge and Tribal Tours, that she she said they couldn't go back to the community and not put the community's needs at the forefront of what they're doing. So I think we saw that with, with, all, with all of our guests where they recognize that their business serves a greater purpose. We're starting to ask for uh, community well-being as the primary deliverable of tourism and, and really why would you do it otherwise? You know, why would you invite people over if what you're left with is, is a worse condition than when they, when they first arrived? So for us, we, there was no way we could move back out to my husband's tribal lands and sit on the pig's back and, and flourish off the benefits of tourism um, while we knew hand on heart that some of our people were still struggling. So we always wanted to, to give back as much as we could um, with what we had to try and make a difference. And so when we look after each other in that way, we receive that also. So we are, you know, we're looking after our community, but actually they're looking after us. And so I, you know, I would love all businesses to be thinking in this way and not just tourism businesses actually, but all businesses in general, because when we look after each other and the environment, we can be, we can keep going through anything. I think the ones that are going to really change the way that, that tourism runs are those that have at their core that, that sense of purpose. So that's what I would love to see is, is those social enterprises really thriving and, and growing and influencing others and, and sharing what they have learned on their journeys with, with, other, with others. So we're really talking this vision of this collective vision of ours for a reimagined or a redesigned visitor economy is that it is led by social enterprises, as Eliza talked about there. And as you heard from our other guests, that it's manakitanga for our own. It's really caretaking for our own people within the industry, our own people within the communities, and really putting that at the forefront of what we're doing. Yeah, and it's interesting. We had a comment come in from a listener who asked us why we hadn't talked about the living wage on the Good Awaits podcast, which is a really great point because this is all a part of that manakitanga for our own people, you know, taking care of our industry first in order that we can that we can welcome and take care of other people. Absolutely. Um, I just want to reinforce something else Eliza had said about um, social enterprises as well, that if our visitor economy is led by businesses, very often small businesses um, who are social enterprises, then we need to be able to empower those businesses to grow because they have so much to teach and so much to share um, about their business models and, and how they are placing purpose and passion at the forefront. And it's those types of businesses that are also delivering an experience for visitors that is usually deeply valuable on so many levels. So our vision for the future is also that tourism is more than just a transaction between tourist and a tourism business, that it shifts to a much deeper encounter 
between the visitor and the host. I love that. Um, yeah. Because it's it's and it is right. That's what we're hoping for, and and I think there's a lot of people in New Zealand already doing that, um, and so we need for that to become the standard. That that's what every one of us is doing, because mm. then it's more than it's not about dollars and cents, you know, and it's not about price slashing and competitiveness, and but it, it's really about adding value to that encounter between visitor and host, so that the visitor can really understand more about this place and these people and it, and it's an exchange that gives back not only to the visitor but also to the community and it's an exchange that has meaning i think that in tourism we have a unique example of something which is highly memorable so it's kind of the perfect place to impart sort of um, some influence on getting people inspired about what a re- what is a really important thing Um, And it was also about educating our visitors that it doesn't have to be a gold-plated, marble, polished, whatever, to be a five-star experience, that a five-star experience can be um, what you feel on the inside and can motivate you to want to make a change in your life um, or can resonate and relate, move through something in your life. So when people come, they truly have a deep and uplifting experience. And when they interact with our community, our community truly feels uplifted by having tourists come to our country. And our environment is benefiting from those tourists as well. So this is where our vision is that tourism really serves a greater purpose and has huge potential to be a change agent and huge potential to be a catalyst for change in our communities, in ourselves, and in our visitors. Yeah, we talked about tourism being this primary experience of place. It's about storytelling and connection. Trent Yo talked about tourism being like the marketing department for everything good about New Zealand. It's sort of adding value onto everything and that we have this unique opportunity in tourism to attach meaning to experiences and use these moments of thrill or excitement or relaxation or fear even, he talks about, um, <laughs> of the adventure tourism uh, to, attach, to attach meaning to those those emotions. Yeah. And I think that's where there's so much power, right? And Nadine and Leanne both spoke to that about changing what you feel on the inside and potentially that impacts you, that impacts you and it impacts how you go home and what you do when you go home. Um, and it's an up, a deep and uplifting experience. So, so these experiences, these deep encounters can result in both the visitor and the host feeling uplifted and feeling inspired and hopefully in some way feeling transformed. We have we have the power in tourism to make these changes at a visitor level, but it relies on us putting the relationships and structures in place on the national and community level in order to support that. And this gets into really the the idea of this needs to be systems level change in order to get to this regenerative model. It's not a small shift. It's not an add-on to sustainability. It's a huge shift and it, and it has to be systemic. And central to that is a model that 
as central organization with local implementation. So a central leadership at a national level that supports local communities to implement this work in ways that support them in their place. Yeah, and that's really a model of of living systems when we think about the way Michelle talked about that, mm. right? That you need to have relationships and structure that support. And and Mandy also spoke to this. Yeah, We need relationships and structure that support both vertically and horizontally throughout the system, but still allows enough freedom and flexibility for the communities to self-organize in their own way. Yeah, Mandy talked a lot about this, this need for cross-sector as well, right? That we need to be thinking like you say, very much we need to be thinking vertically in terms of this national down to community level, but we also need to be thinking horizontally in terms of how does tourism interact with other sectors. And I think this, there's an exciting piece in that because I think tourism has the potential to be a change catalyst across sectors. Yeah, definitely. Mandy also spoke to sharing the smarts from other sectors too, right? So if we're truly networked through in our communities across sectors, um, then we have so much to learn from other sectors. So to, you know, to really learn from each other across sectors, because there's so much that's already in existence, for example, in agriculture, which has been on this regenerative journey for at least 10 years. So rather than starting from scratch, let's look at what's already working in an existence and, and learn from that. You know, speaking about what's already in existence also it brings to mind Kristen Dunn saying, you know, talking about the Tourism Task Force report, yeah. which is a fantastic document that was created by a team of people that came from such diverse backgrounds um, and who really came together to create a vision for what New Zealand tourism could and should look like. And it's very regenerative in its in its focus and its vision. And Kristen was clear, you know, let's not create another document or let's not sit down and write more papers. Let's use what's in existence and take this community, take this report forward on a community level. We heard, I think, from her and perhaps others that that this is a really valuable document that we should be utilizing. Yeah, I mean, the report has been shelved uh, by by the government at the moment. But that's not to say that it can't be implemented at a community level. And I think that's what we're going to see is, is communities needing to come together to get this, get this ball rolling because we're not always going to have that leadership from, from the top. Let's have an overarching strategy and be nimble as we communicate between communities and um, with each other so that we can shift to that um, healthy place at pace and at scale. And so this is my concern significantly is that New Zealand's currently potentially missing an opportunity, not only in tourism, but generally in assessing what our current situation is and evolving forward quickly in a high pressure environment such as COVID, because COVID is the first wave of many, including climate change that is just about to hit our shores and the, and the global shores in the VUCA world. Hmm. So with that understanding and with the vision that we've sort of collated and crafted together from all of our guests, Josie, uh, maybe it's time for you and I to speak to what our own visions are, what we've come to through this process. So um, I'd love to hear where your thinking has evolved to, to this point. 
Yeah, it's been a it's been a huge journey, and I feel like it's still everything that we've learned is still settling. But for me, so my vision is really focused on putting purpose and passion back at the center of how we do tourism and how we do business. It's about shifting tourism's purpose entirely. In the past, tourism's purpose has always been about serving the traveler first and about growth. But I think this shift requires us to think about tourism's purpose instead being about nurturing thriving communities and fostering connections to people and to place. I'm not naive to the fact that this is a big shift. I think it requires systemic change, including new economic models that take us beyond a transactional growth-driven capitalist model. And it puts emphasis on understanding the true value of tourism, acknowledging that tourism adds value beyond just dollars and cents, like like we've heard from from many of our guests in the, their interactions with their communities. We talked a bit about this piece around central coordination and local implementation. And this has really resonated with me. I think my vision exists within that model that we have leadership at a national level in terms of destination management and stewardship, but that it can be implemented at a community level that is specific to place, specific to community needs and to serving a thriving community in specific places. Part of the systemic changes that are needed include the need for new funding models and structural changes that reposition RTOs or some kind of local destination stewardship organisation on a community level, whose job it is to empower communities to protect and to share their places. And all of this is kind of underlined by the valuing of Indigenous knowledge uplifting the knowledge and understanding of Māori, giving agency to Māori and implementing all of this in alignment with Tetiriti and the rights of Māori as custodians of Aotearoa and this understanding of living systems being mainstreams to a point where we can see ourselves as part of a system, as part of an ecosystem, as part of a network, as communities and as an industry. So it's wow. so it's a bit, it's a big vision and there's a lot of parts to it. I think it's pretty ambitious, but I think we need ambition and we need to be brave. And so that's yeah, that's that's what I hope for for Aotearoa. It's an amazing vision, Josie. It's a hard act to follow. <laughs> what what about you, Debbie? What's where are you where are you at with all of this? What's your vision? Well, I think, you know, I, I love how your vision is just um, so much bigger than mine in that you're looking at all the different parts of the system that needs to change. I think I really came at it from a tour operator perspective, mm. um, and I'm hoping that there's a lot of tour operators out there listening. For me, it's been a journey too, Josie. Um, you know, it's been a really emotional journey, actually. For me, my vision is that we accept the reality that more disruptions from pandemics and climate change are coming because that is the first step. If we don't accept that reality, then nothing will change, I don't think. Um, And that we as individuals have a personal responsibility to make change, that each of us does matter. 
and that we're not separate from each other in our communities and across the world, and we're not separate from the planet, that we have to understand that our that that we have a role, each and every one of us, as healers and stewards of our communities and our planet. So we have to go on this learning journey. We have to deepen our understanding, and whether that's through, um, you know, how, however, as Michelle said, however we find that learning, we have to do it. We have to see ourselves as part of nature and as part of communities and as part of this planet together. And we have to realize the power and potential of tourism. It can be deeply engaging and it can move people in such deep and meaningful ways. And hopefully it moves them in a way way that they too share this understanding that each of us matters, that we all have a role to play in healing our planet and moving forward in a more regenerative way. My vision is that each and every one of us, while going on this personal journey, is urgently focusing all of our energy on supporting those in our community who are already living in harmony with nature, who are already helping our communities. So as a tourism operator, if you don't know where to start, do what Nadine said and look around and see who's already doing this work, see what's needed and work with those other businesses or other people to help our communities and our environment regenerate and thrive. Because as tourism businesses or tour operators, we are really skilled, I think, as experience creators. And this goes back to what Trent said, that we can work with others in our community. We can collaborate by bringing visitors, whether that's domestic or international, when the borders open. And we can collaborate to create really deep encounters that help us understand ourselves more that help us understand others around us. Um, And that includes indigenous wisdom and ways of living. If we're lucky enough and privileged enough to be recipients of that. And it helps us fall in love with our places and our planet again. And so hopefully through that, we can build our own capacity and our desire to heal and nurture ourselves, our communities and our planet. That's my vision. That's beautiful, Debbie. And thank you for bringing emotion to this because I think it's really valuable and essential, actually, that we we acknowledge that this is an emotional this is emotional work, and that we're not going to get to where we need to get by separating ourselves from that emotion. The only way we're going to get there is by letting that emerge and and feeling that in order to kind of feel the the urgency and the importance of this work. So, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you, Josie. This modern science is now finally waking up to the fact that what the indigenous people have always known is that we have a special role as human beings in in the evolution of life on the planet and that is to take care of it because we're making conscious choices so where i'm going with this is that every one of us actually makes a difference and to really own that that you know you're you what you're saying what you're thinking what you're doing how you're spending your life how you whatever matters is the complete antithesis of what we've been spent the last 300 years telling ourselves which is we're insignificant and it's a harsh world and it's you against everyone else 
And so what regeneration is all about is saying, well, you know, first of all, you have to have done some personal work on it. You know, you have to understand yourself a bit. And you have to have made some conscious choices about, I, you know, I want to learn, I want to contribute. Thanks for listening to this Harvest episode of Good Awaits. Thank you so much to all of our listeners who have stuck with us throughout the season. We're looking at ways to bring people together around this kaupapa and bringing together people who are interested in regenerative tourism and regenerative thinking. So if you'd like to be a part of that or you have ideas to share, then please do get in touch with us. You can get in touch with us via our website, goodawaits.podbean.com. We're our social media on Instagram and Facebook at Good Awaits and also through our emails, which are in the show notes. The Good Awaits podcast is our volunteer-run podcast. And if you find value in our work and you'd like to support us, then you can donate to our Give a Little page and the link is in the show notes. All of the donations that come through that will go towards operating costs of this season of the podcast. We want to thank all of our guests because without them, this podcast would not have been possible. So thank you very much to Anna Pollock, Kristen Dunn, Nadine Toitoi, Michelle Holiday, Trent Yo, Sani Hart, Eliza Raymond, Purina McLeod, Mandy Bell, and Leanne Jago. Thank you also very much to Erin Carnes from Good Travel for all of the help with the design and our beautiful logo art. And thank you so much to Clary Macklin for our halasyncopated jingle. We love it. And also <laughs> for your hours of production time too, Clary. We also want to thank our teams at both Good Travel and New Zealand Awaits. At Good Travel, Eliza Raymond, Katie Goddard, Karen Noonan, Shelley Bragg and Erin Carnes. Thank you so much for all of your support throughout the process. And also huge thanks to the team at New Zealand Awaits. That's Karen Lang, Wendy Hanson and Liam Bennett. We really appreciate your support. We also want to thank listeners who have reached out to us and whose, some of whose comments were mentioned in this episode and for everyone who we've had conversations with throughout this journey. We're so grateful for the engagement and we've learned so much from, from speaking with you. We also want to say a special thank you to Anna Pollock and Michelle Holiday who brought us the Back to Life course along with Ben Wolf and Karen Sanchez-Dahl and all of the whanau who joined in that course that was really the initial inspiration for the Good Awaits podcast. And I'd like to do a special thank you also to Diane Dredge, uh, Jenny Cave and Marta Mills from the Tourism Collab. Uh, I'm currently in the Regenerative Tourism by Design course and have had lots of inspiration, insights and understandings uh, through that course. So thank you to, to you also. Thank you to all of the operators, the regions and the organisations that have shared our podcast and your newsletters, website, social media, who have helped us to get the word out and to make it known to the world. We really appreciate, appreciate your support. So thanks again for listening to the Good Awaits podcast. It's been great to have you join us as we've harvested the stories of our regenerative tourism journey in New Zealand so far.